Hello and welcome to this audio recording for the weekly research roundup, a research published between the 25th and 31st of July 2023. I'm Katrina Pears, the research correspondent of the Emmy Association. It's been another extremely busy week for research with a large range of research topics this week. Although there have been few biomedical studies, there have been 12 new ME-CFS studies and 20 new long COVID studies this week. We have highlighted one of the ME-CFS studies in more detail. Paper 9 this week follows young people with ME-CFS who have had infectious mononucleosis from Epstein-Barr virus EPV. This study was conducted in Germany and included many well-known researchers in the field including Carpen Schreigenbogen. This study conducted a one-year follow-up of 25 young people under the age of 25 years who had a diagnosis at the outpatient service. Inclusion for the study included post-exertion renaise and well-documented EBV infection as a triggering event. Information was recorded at the initial visit as well as follow-ups at 6 and 12 months, which included information on demographics, laboratory findings, frequency and severity of symptoms, physical functioning and health-related quality-of-life questionnaires. The aim of this study was to assess disease trajectories in these young individuals and explore potential differences between adolescents and young people within the cohort. A few points about the study cohort. 48% of the patients were classed as adolescents and these were under the age of 18, and 52% were classed as adults and these were between 18 and 25 years of age. 80% of the cohort was female, the youngest patient was 14 years old. The principal findings of this study showed that young adults with ME-CFS experience more symptoms and have poorer physical and mental functioning compared to adolescents. Adolescents have a better prognosis, although their condition can fluctuate with improvements in physical functioning and health-related quality of life. Other findings included, after one year, 54% of the adolescents no longer met the diagnosis criteria for ME-CFS, indicating partial remission. However, all young adults continued to fulfil the Canadian consensus criteria. Improvement in adolescents was evident in visual functioning, symptom frequency and symptom severity and health-related quality-of-life questionnaire, while young adults had little improvement. EBV seriology and EBV DNA data node did not correlate with distinct clinical features of ME-CFS and clinical chemistry showed no evidence of inflammation. No EBV data could be found in the plasma of any of the patients, but EBV DNA was found in the peripheral blood cells of 40% of patients and 66% of the throat washes. All patients showed anti-EBV BAC IgG as an indicator of previous EBV infection. This study was unique as it compared young adults to adolescents, which is not something that is often captured in studies. This study does provide a clear insight into ME-CFS in young people, which use rigorous methods, including diagnosis of ME-CFS using multidisciplinary board. For those over 18, this used the CCC diagnosis, and for adolescents, had to fulfil the CCC or at least a less strict criteria of the CDWR. In all cases, post-exertion malaise PEM had to be present more than 14 hours after mild exertion. This is a lot stricter diagnosis criteria than the majority of paediatric studies that are conducted, 
which doesn't often require the presence of PEM. This study only included those with a confirmed EPV infection onset and not those with a probable infection onset, giving a well-defined cohort. There are a few limitations of this study, such as patients only came from one clinic in Germany, meaning there was a selection bias. This also resulted in the inclusion of only patients with mild to moderate MECFS who could travel to the clinic. The dropout rate was 20%, which could also introduce a bias into the result and affect the representativeness of the sample. This could be due to improvement seen or being too unwell to continue. There was no control group. This, for example, affects questions that were asked which are non-specific to MECIS and are common in the general population, so no comparisons can be made. The study, as always, was limited by sample size, which could be improved upon by expanding the clinics involved in the study. Small sample sizes affect the statistical power and make it difficult to compare groups, which could make results inaccurate. This study followed the patients over a one-year course, Therefore, further longitudinal studies could help to see the prognosis in this group of young people. You may also be interested in reading some of the previous research we have seen on infectious mononucleosis from the US by Jason's et al. research group. These studies have looked at the risk of developing MECFS after infectious mononucleosis in college students, predictors for developing severe MECFS following infectious mononucleosis, metabolites and metabolic pathways from those who did and did not recover after infectious mononucleosis. There have also been a review published this week on what we know about infectious mononucleosis, which is paper 5. Unfortunately, this is behind a paywall, so we cannot read the full text. Thank you for listening to this audio recording of the weekly research roundup. I shall be back next week with the next instalment.